If you turn with me to your Bibles, we're looking at Romans chapter 4. The Bible's a big blue book underneath the pew. And uh, how are you doing this morning? Are you feeling good? That's all that counts, right? You should say no at that point. Okay, good. Uh, so we're looking at Romans chapter 4, verses 6 uh, to 8. We've got to that point in our series in Romans, which is not actually interminable. At one point we will finish, unless Jesus comes first. Um, and uh, Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through to 8. And I've got various notes in front of me, but we're just going to see how it goes. Romans chapter 4, verses 6 through to 8. Let's pray as we come now to the Bible. Lord Jesus, we've been singing uh, and saying to each other that you will hold us fast. And by that we mean you will not let us go, that we are in your grip. Lord, help us to believe that as we turn now to your word. One of the main ways that you do hold on to us. We pray for the power of your spirit sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so we come now to that sword, to that Word, and we position ourselves to receive from what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So friends, we're coming to this uh, sermon, and uh, I've titled it True Happiness, and it's Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. Let's hear God's Word. Paul is carrying on in his argument, and he says this, just as David also speaks of the blessing, it's going to be one of the key words that we're going to be talking about this morning, the blessing, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So it's the blessing referring to someone, of the one to whom, to that person, God, the living God, counts or credits puts into their account righteousness, that is the right standing before God, what is truly righteous, the righteousness apart from works. He's doing that way because he's referring back to what he's just said in the previous couple of verses about contrasting between salvation by works and salvation by faith, this big, what we call juxtaposition, this big contrast And now he's saying, look at David. So just as David also speaks of the blessing, our key word this morning, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, distinct from works, not by works. Here is how then David speaks. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Lawless deeds, deeds that are against the law, things that you do that are against God's law. Not criminal things against human law, but things that are wrong against God's law. Lawless deeds are forgiven. That is, wiped clean, no longer there, forgiven. But this is what he means by blessing, this key word. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins, the same kind of thing as lawless deeds, he's using a different word to refer to the same sort of thing, so it penetrates into our minds and hearts what he's saying by repetition. Lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins, the things that we do that are against God's law, whose sins of mind and heart and intention as well as action and whose sins are covered. So two different images. Counted, righteous, and now covered, covered over. There's a blanket covering it over so it can no longer be seen. Are covered, Blessed, again, this key word, it's three times, 
you see something repeated three times in just three verses, it's probably a key word. Blessed is the man. Now, when he says man, he doesn't mean male as versus female. He means the person, the one, uh, the person against whom, well, against whom, the Lord will not count his sin. So this is our passage this morning. And I've titled it True Happiness because when we think of happiness, we think of happiness as something that is so superficial. What's that song by Pharrell Williams? Uh, You probably know, what is it? How does it go? It goes, um, let's see now. Because he's happy, you know, there's something about a roof, isn't there? You've got to lift the roof or something. Um, Got it somewhere here in my notes. Oh yeah, clap along if you feel happiness is the truth. In other words, the way you feel is the truth. And if something's going wrong, you just got to feel different about it. You know, maybe dance and put it on a web page, 24-hour video or something. Clap along if you feel that happiness is the truth. Or smile and you'll feel better. Just smile. Certain kinds of Christianity like that, aren't there? Just smile. We're here to give you the happy drug. Drink the Kool-Aid. You don't have to think, just smile and you'll feel better. So, two questions this morning. What is true happiness? Got to define it so that we understand it. And then how do we get it? So first, what is true happiness? Now, in case you're tempted to think this is somehow distant from the text, when we're talking about blessing, let me describe for you. I'm standing in the line of preachers like Billy Graham and others who look at this understanding of blessing the following way. Blessing is God declaring that some kind of life, and what that kind of life is defined by what is blessed, that some kind of life is the truly right life, the truly blessed life. So it's an objective, verbal declaration of the right way to live. And why is that true happiness? Because then the happy life is the life that's in accord with that life that God says is the blessed life. So I'm not trying to say to you this morning, look, you just got to be happy, just got to smile, just got to feel better. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is, in order to have the true life that is truly blessed, that is truly happy, you've got to live your life according to what God says is the blessed life, as not what our world says, our culture says, is the blessed life. That is not an experience. Experience, a biochemical reality, not by temperament or personality or the way we feel what is true or the way we feel better about this or that or what some blog says is truly the happy life. So people come to God and they say, well, okay, I've got to believe in God and maybe He is the right thing to do for now. I've got to follow my duty. But really, if I really want to be happy, If I really want to discover what is the blessed life, then, well, I've got to find some other drug, some other relationship. So there I am in a marriage, and it's not very happy. And maybe for a while I'll just keep on doing my duty by God and my family. But at some point, if I really believe that the blessed life, the happy life, the truly good life is actually self-fulfillment, 
If I really believe that the pursuit of happiness is actually a selfish pursuit, your best life now, ever heard that book? I, I was in Barnes & Noble uh, on Friday night uh, with uh, my wife. My mother-in-law is in town, so that means we get to go on a date once every year. And the date was going to Barnes & Noble at 9.45. It shuts at 10, so we're there for 15 minutes. And, you know, I had a cup of hot chocolate. My wife had, I don't know, sparkling water, something really radical like that. And we are browsing the bookstore. I love doing that, see what's there. You get to the spiritual side. By the way, they have tarot cards for Halloween. I saw those on the counter, and I just grimaced at the person. It's really tarot cards? Uh, and there you are. So I kind of ignore that. I manage to get past that. I go to the Christian section, and there's some good books. There's C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller's there. I'm praising God. Wow, there's some great stuff. And then your best life now, whatever it is. You know, how to be happy, and let's slip God in somewhere around that. I'm not having a big rant on that particular preacher or anyone else. I'm just saying that if you want to find a way to live for God, you have to line up in your mind that the truly blessed life is what God says is the truly blessed life, not what anyone else says. Otherwise, you will just follow the track. You'll leave your wife, your husband. You'll leave your family. You'll begin to make money. You'll begin to cheat because in your head, in your heart, you'll say to yourself, that is what is the right life. And so what Paul is saying is, let's go to the greatest king of all time, David, an amazing man, the rock star of his age. He wrote song after song after song, popular hits. Also an incredible leader, the CEO, the, the, the um, General Electric CEO, company, great leader, president, premier, prime minister, politician, the general. The guy who went to war and won battles, all three together in one person, great King David. What does he say is the blessed life? And so we come to what he discovers. And what he says is this, the truly blessed person is not the person who's the successful rock star, the celebrity the truly blessed person is not the person who has lots of money. The truly blessed person is not the person who can lead an organization from success to success. The truly blessed person is the person who is forgiven. Whose sins the Lord will never count against him. That makes a difference when you look at your life and decide whether you're going to do the right thing by God or not. That is the truly blessed life. There's no other kind of life that, according to David, is actually the really, truly blessed one. In other words, it's not a matter of temperaments. It's not a matter of biochemical reality, physical, the way you are hired, hardwired. It's not a matter of how you feel. It's not a matter of what other people say about you. It's only a matter of what God says about you. Why is that? Because one day we will all have to stand before the living God.
And it will not matter how many organizations you have led. It will not matter how many successful books you have written or how well they have sold. It will not matter whether you have been incredibly handsome. It will not matter how many relationships you have had with how many women or how many men. It will not matter what anyone else says about you. It would only matter what God says about you. And therefore, the blessed person is the person who knows right now that his sins are not counted against him. Is that you? How do we have this blessing, this true happiness? Well, I think there are five ways we can discern from what David says here and the way that Paul inserts David into his description of the gospel as an illustration of this gospel that, by the way, comes from the Old Testament David, of course, in the Old Testament as well as the New. Here are these five ways. Uh, number one, believe the gospel. How is this blessing received? It is received by faith. If you have your Bible open, look at the verses uh, beforehand. Verse 4, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. This is the way of works. In order to please God, trying to live the right life, do a good things. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is counted as righteousness. So how is this received? It's received by believing. And when we say believing, we do not mean simply notionally accepting that God exists. We do not mean simply mentally agreeing that Jesus was a real historical figure. We do not even mean just accepting that Jesus rose from the dead. We mean aligning our whole lives, our whole being, everything that is about us with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins, that woes might be forgiven, and that his righteousness might be our righteousness. Believe the gospel. And therefore, your sins will not be counted against you. It is that simple and that ongoing. I wonder what week you've had this week. I wonder what the challenges have been. I wonder what kind of year you've had. I wonder what kind of decade you have had. I wonder what is going on in your mind and heart now as I speak. I wonder what whispers from the devil, from internal struggles, psychological struggles are telling you that you are not good, that you're not righteous, that you're not worthy. I wonder what all this dialogue that happens in you and around you is right now. And what this text is saying is the way to understand that you're blessed is actually, consciously, to say to God in prayer, personally, directly, Lord, I choose now to trust what you say is the blessed life. I trust you. So, number two. Not only trust, repent. Turn with, you, with me, if you will, to Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 32 in your Bibles. This is, of course, where uh, Paul was quoting from, Psalm 32. And it's one of the great penitential psalms, and therefore repent. Psalm 32, 
And uh, Paul quotes from the first couple of verses, but what I want you to notice is how they carry on. So verse 3, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. This is strong, emotional experiential language, and what David is saying is this is the experience of someone living with unconfessed sin. Of course, David is a real believer in God. He trusts God, and yet he has some sin that he's wrestling with that he has not yet confessed, that he hasn't been straightforward with God about, and what he's saying is, when he kept silent about that, this was his experience. His bones were wasting away through groaning all day long. Why? Because God would not let him go. He was one of his, and he put pressure on him until David realized that he needed to confess this sin, until it was a reality in David's heart that he accepted that he needed to own up, fess up, confess to God the reality. His strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I wonder if that is your experience. I wonder whether you feel that somehow there has been a withdrawal of God's presence or even more, that there's been a heavy hand upon you. And your strength that seemed to be so strong until recently has now gone away, as if it's one of those days in Chicago when it's 105 degrees and it's so hot, you feel like you're going mad. And that's what you feel like. Could it be that God is saying to you, you need to turn from that? in order to have your life aligned with this statement that he's making about the truly blessed life, the truly happy life. David says, if that's the case, let me give you some advice. Therefore, let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. In other words, now. Not later. Now. Now. Repent. Number three. Tell other people. Look at how um, he concludes his psalm. David is such uh, an enthusiast for God. Look what he says. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. So those who don't live in this reality of what God says is eternally blessed will have many sorrows. But steadfast love, that's the covenant chesed Love, the covenant love that God gives to his people, it surrounds, it goes all the way around the person who trusts. So he's trusted, he's repented, and now he's telling other people how good that is. It surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So what he is now saying to those of us who are reading his psalm, his song, he's saying, now look, listen to me, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. And as David does that, you get the sense that he is multiplying his joy as well. Paul says the same thing in his letter to Philemon, where he advises Philemon to tell other people about what he's experienced, about his relationship with Jesus, so that Philemon would have a full sense of all the good things that he has in Christ Jesus. So let me put it like this. You may have repented. You may have believed. Perhaps you also need to tell other people. 
See, telling other people about Jesus is not just a church technique for getting more people into the pews. It's not just a church technique for church growth. It's not just a good thing for the sort of evangelistic strategy of the kingdom. It is something that actually will help you align your life into more close accord, closer connection with the blessing that you actually have. Because here's how it works. You get to know someone who's not yet a Christian one of these unconverted evangelicals in Wheaton. Someone who goes to Roman Catholic Church and is moral and loves God and good things and yet has not ever experienced what Jesus says to Nicodemus. I tell you the truth, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again, which is not invented by a 20th century American evangelist but was said on the lips of Jesus. And you begin to get to know that person, you talk to that person, you realize that not only do they need what you're offering, but you have what you are offering to them already. It multiplies your experience of joy. So when Pastor Lee gets up here, our pastor of community outreach and small groups, and says to us, look, we need to be telling people about Jesus, don't resist it. Think to yourself, if I do that, I will have an even greater sense of all the good things that I have in Jesus Christ. Believe, repent to other people, number four, and uh, in some ways, I guess my favorite of this list, sing. Let us not forget that Psalm 32 is a song to be sung, whether you put it to music or whether you speak it, but it's intended as a psalm, a song, and uh, Paul, when he quotes from David, is quoting from one of his, one of his psalms. It is a song. Now, some of us here may have voices like the birds of the air, you know, beautiful voices like the choir. Others of us here may have voices like bats in the belfry. No matter, sing. There's something about the way that we're wired. We're going to sing a song at the end of this service called Joy to the World, more normally sung at Christmas time. We're going to sing it now because Isaac Watts, the original author, designed it to be written not actually only at Christmas but on many other occasions, primarily about Jesus' second coming, joy to the world. And we're going to sing it. And as you sing, the way we are wired as human beings, the way we are psychosomatic units, body and soul intermeshed, means that as we sing, whether you sing like the birds of the air or like a bat in the belfry, whether the person next to you is rejoicing as you're singing or as I find they put their hands on their ears as I I sing. You sing. You sing. Why? Why? Because as you do, it minimizes the circumstances around you which are perhaps negative and which, with which you struggle and helps you connect to the truth of God, His blessing. And number five, and finally, right, right. This is something that David wrote in his journal, if you'd like. It was a poem. Now, none of us, I suppose, can write like great King David, who was such a brilliant author of such amazing words. But when we write down in a journal, when we write down on a piece of paper, the truth of God as we believe it, and those words are staring back at us from the page. 
So you read some great uh, author or other, you, you get the book and you read what they're saying and that blesses you, that encourages you, and then you take out a pen, take out a scrap of paper, and you write down your resolution, your commitment to God. Lord, I trust you that your life as you declare it is the truly blessed life. And then you look at those words that you wrote. You wrote. It has a different kind of impact. So what is true happiness? It is the life that God declares is blessed. How do we attain it? Write, sing, tell other people, repent of your sins, believe the gospel. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, we pray that uh, we would indeed live the life that is truly blessed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.